0: This is Starkey Soundbites. I'm your host, Dave Fabry, uh, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer. Our guest today is musical legend, Huey Lewis. In recent years, uh, Huey's musical career has been disrupted by his hearing loss and severe tinnitus uh, resulting from uh, Meniere's disease, and we'll talk a little bit about that. He joins us today to discuss his hearing loss journey and uh, also, you know, I, I have to say, Huey, you really provide inspiration for a lot of people uh, as to how they can be optimistic despite uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, obstacles that are uh, provided by hearing and balance challenges. And, and your voice is one of my favorite of all time. And I have to say, you know, we first had the opportunity to meet in 2001. You won't remember this, uh, but I was uh, the president of the American Academy of Audiology at that time, and you came down to San Diego and spoke at our um, uh, annual convention about uh, some of the early uh, uh, challenges you had with hearing loss. At that time, you had had uh, some difficulties with hearing in one ear uh, that then has uh, progressed to both ears since then, but uh, thank you for joining us today, and, and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk a little bit about this.
1: Yeah. Good to be with you, man. Good to be with you.
0: Yeah. And you're you're uh, you're looking good. And uh, uh, like I said, it's uh, a pleasure to uh, hear your voice in song again. And and, uh, I can sing to sing myself, but I can't
1: hear music uh, to sing to it. I can't find pitch because music, as you know, is much more difficult to listen to than speech. Speech occurs in a narrow frequency. Usually music, even one note. Occurs in all frequencies with harmonics and overtones and everything, so it just comes at me from too many frequencies and it
0: just confuses my hearing and I can't find pitch. It's very. And I would imagine you have perfect pitch, right? Before all of the distortion got. No, I have relative
1: pitch. Okay. Have good
0: relative pitch.
1: Okay. But not not perfect. Perfect pitch is somebody who can just sing an A note. Yeah. Relative pitch is if you sing an A note, I can sing you a D note.
0: Okay. But, uh, once you once you get the note on the piano or on a guitar string or, or, or some other areas, then uh, you can reference it, but not... Yeah. Uh, so I can know.
1: sing to myself in tune. I can okay. sing in tune by myself. But if you play a guitar chord for me, I can't hear it. It sounds yeah. like cacophony for me. It goes... <laughs>
0: Yeah, and in particular with all of the distortion that's been added over the years. but The distortion, the resonance or whatever. You guys call it resonance, I call it distortion. Um, so you grew up, uh, you were born in New York City, and you kind of divided your youth between the East Coast and the West Coast, right? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I, uh, uh, I was born in New York City, but I, but I moved to California and when I was five years old because the sandboxes weren't very good. <laughs> no, um, uh, but yeah, my family moved to California. So I was raised in, in Marin County, Northern California. Yeah. But at, at 13 years old, I went away to prep school in New Jersey for four years. So I was educated there for four years. And then I went to Cornell for five minutes over a two-year period and mostly played music uh, and then came back to San Francisco to uh, join a band.
0: When did you first get the music bug? Where was it? Uh, how old were you when you started performing and playing? Well, when I started performing later, I mean, my dad was a musician.
1: And adult, my dad was a doctor, but his hobby was music. And he played piano and, and drums. He was an excellent drummer. And, um, you know, and so I had guitar lessons as a kid and a little bit. And, but um, my mother, my parents got divorced. My mother uh, rented out a room to a boarder Named Billy Roberts, who was a who was a folk singer. He wrote "Hey Joe," and okay. he had wow. he played harmonica with one of those braces, you know. Yep. He had a zillion harmonicas, and he gave me a bunch of his old harmonicas. So I started playing harmonica, and then um, uh, I played for a couple, a little bit, you know, sort of fooled around, and then I I graduated from high school a year young. I graduated sixteen years old, and because uh, I'd skipped second grade, and my father, I was, was accepted to Cornell and was planning to go. My, my father insisted that I take a year off and bum around Europe wow. before I went to college. I got myself to Europe and hitchhiked all throughout North Africa and Europe and Scandinavia, all the time playing harmonica. When I came back to, to, up to uh, the States, I had I, I, taken a year leave absence, so I went back to Cornell um, and just pretty much joined bands, you know, wow. pretty, played,
0: played music at Cornell, and then dropped out and went to California. Well, you mentioned that your, uh, your dad was a drummer and uh, I'm also a percussionist. And uh, one of the things that's been interesting to come out of the literature in the last five years or so is that musical training um, at any point in your life turns out that it helps you when you're using hearing aids um just the, the the preparation from actually playing an instrument understanding tonality understanding the rhythm it helps you with your speech understanding and noise and interestingly some of the work that i um sort of proudly point to is that uh nina kraus a researcher in our field maintains that drummers have the highest iqs of all musicians really Yeah. uh, You know, it's just some of the work, I guess, I like to say I have great temporal processing, but lousy spectral processing. You don't want to hear me sing, but I can, uh, the rhythm apparently helps with tonality for speech and for speech understanding and noise. And so, uh, but I- So much for that bad joke, which is, you know what they call people that hang, hang around musicians? Drummers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole host of them. But I do also, I wanted to point out that um, one of my prized possessions, and they, you know, this is an audio podcast, but you gave this to me in 2001 uh, when you came, and I keep it proudly on my shelf. And I think you're not given, you know, for all of the accolades you've received You've uh, uh, got Grammy, a Grammy Award and, and Academy Award nominations, uh, but your harmonica playing really isn't given the due. I think, uh, given that I've heard you play many times harmonica, and, uh, and you rock it, man. That does give you a little bit of the, uh, the temporal processing because the harmonica really is an extension of a percussion instrument and you know, with the, with the, 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 the temporal par- part of it, but uh, as well, uh, you can take it much further with your musical acumen. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're sweet to say that, and uh, uh, you know,
1: I I I used to be a serious harmonica player, and then when I joined the, when I started my own band, sang all my own songs, and now I had a great band, a bunch of my pals, and so many good musicians in my band. You you only get like one solo per song, and I I could I have to give it to the guitar player or the horn players. So I, I I I I. as we went on in my career i played less and less harmonica but i i still love the harmonica and um, you know i it just some some a little harmonica in my band goes a long way
0: hey yeah, i understand but uh, but i enjoy the harmonica maybe again going back to that percussion background but uh, the other thing and the other thing about a harmonica yeah. there is no more expressive instrument than yeah. the
1: harmonica than a diatonic harmonica you know one could argue a saxophone and even and and maybe a pedal steel because you can bend and so on but because of the nature of a diatonic harmonica the fact that you can bend the notes and and get such uh, uh, expressive tone out of it and and the other thing of course is the sound
0: comes from your cavity your body right. cavity right. so that nobody sounds the same Yeah, and you mentioned the horn. I mean, one of the things with Huey Lewis in the news as well is I think um, people forget how you had a full horn section. And and, uh, I think uh, you've mentioned in previous interviews that you guys were inspired by Tower of Power. Uh, uh still a young man was one of my favorite uh tunes by theirs but but I think you know you guys had an excellent uh horn and, and sax section in addition to the vocals and the traditional rock and roll music uh members too. Yeah, I mean I've always been, I've always loved soul music and
1: uh you know we I pretty much grew up on that. We were we were me and my band were Slightly younger than the the sort of psychedelic generation, if you will, so we had to find something that was our own, and and that 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 turned out to be soul music. We and there was a, as a uh, in Oakland, there's a soul music station called KDIA, which is the one and only sister station for WDIA in Memphis. So in some cases, soul music records by say the Rance Allen Group or somebody like that only got added to two stations in America and wow. that was that would be wda and KDA. so we and and those are the those are the, the kdi we were just faithful kdia listeners you know we were doing in in our little college bands and stuff we were playing james brown songs with pedal steel guitar and stuff you know so wow. that was uh that was always a part of what we do and and then when we had some success we um we we hired the tower power horns to Play on a record, and then we took him on the road with us for two years, and fell in love with the horn section. And then, when we made another record uh, of, of original material, we 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 Johnny played all the saxes. We hired a trumpet player, Marvin Marvin McFadden, to play trumpet, and 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 we and we hired uh, Johnny Beaumont to play bar, baritone. And so then we
0: put our own little horn section together, and we toured with them for for years. Oh man, I can just imagine what the music scene was like when you were uh, in the Bay Area at that time, and then touring, and uh, with fellow uh, Bay Area members Tower Power, and then how you combined that and then toured. And and like I said, I've had the pleasure to hear you perform solo and with Huey Lewis in the news uh, over the years, and and you brought a lot of joy to a lot of people, and uh, including in ramping up to that in two thousand one when you came to uh, then the, the American Academy of Audiology conference. And you talked a little bit about the fact that even in 2001, um, you had some challenges with regards to hearing and balance. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I, I lost, you know, uh, suddenly I lost the hearing in my right
1: ear, probably 83, I'm guessing, something like that. 80, it was probably 1983. And um and then I had a, 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 a Vertigo episode shortly thereafter. And uh, uh, then, you know, I went to see he, my ENT guy and he said, get used to it, uh, uh, which was what? what? He yeah. said, yeah, this happens. We don't know what it is, but it just happens sometimes. But you only need one ear. I said, what? Well, I'm a musician. I, you know, well, he says, hey, Jimi Hendrix had one ear. Brian Wilson had one ear. He said, I've got one ear and I'm in a barbershop quartet. I said, really? I said, yeah. So I, I existed on my right ear, on my, on my left ear, rather. My right ear went out yeah. in 83 so for, you know, 30 years almost. And then yeah. suddenly, January 27th, night 2018, before a gig, my left ear went out. And uh, I re- it was just a horrible. I tried to play the show. I couldn't hear anything. It was awful. I went immediately to House Ear Institute. I had steroid shots in my ear. I had a long long, long uh, 28-day program of prednisone, and they tried steroids. That didn't work. Um, They sent me to an immunologist who had me in all kinds of different Canadian drugs, and that didn't work. Then I got a second opinion from Stanford ear, and he said Meniere's. And then I went to Mayo Clinic, and he said Meniere's. He said, it isn't autoimmune. I know it isn't. I said, why? He says, because autoimmune both ears go at the same time and people who have autoimmune also exhibit other characteristics of autoimmune like lupus and you don't have anything you have classic Meniere's I said great now that I know what I got what do I do about it he says we don't know
0: (laughs) yeah you know especially related to trying to address issues related to autoimmune hearing loss and Meniere's which as you mentioned are often uh, misdiagnosed or confused because there's no genetic tests that could sort of isolate exactly what it is that's causing it and then the further thing like you just said okay now i know what i've got now what do i do and short of you know we just came out of uh protect your hearing month a a while ago and um one of the issues i guess or questions that i had for you after you lost the hearing in your right ear initially were you uh really careful about uh what exposure uh when you were performing that the left ear was getting
1: Not so much, probably not as not as much as I should have been. But um, I'm I'm not I'm not I've always had, you know, when I was a kid, I had earaches a lot. Every every flu season, I would get earaches. And my dad, who was a radiologist by, you know, my profession, I remember telling me because I played baseball. He said, you got a great arm, but you got lousy Eustachian tubes (laughs) because I would get earaches every every. And so that probably scarred the Eustachian tubes a little bit. Plus, agreed, loud music isn't great for, you know, 40 years, and I'm no spring chicken. So maybe that <laughs> those three things are what Meniere's, but, you know, they really don't. Uh, you know, um, Dr. Stephen Roush, who's probably the godfather of all these guys, uh, in a way, he's, he, had, he has 300 Meniere's patients a year. And the day I talked to him, he had six in his office that day. And he says, I can cure Meniere's um, 90% of the time. I said, really? He says, yeah. Uh, I said, what is it? He says, well, three things. One is regular schedule. You stay, you get up at the same, roughly the same time, eat at the same time, do, do everything's kind of the same time, regular schedule. Two is overall good health. I want good cholesterol numbers and, and uh, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, blood pressure, et cetera, which I have and exercise, which I do. And number three is low salt, not no salt, but low salt. And I want the salt distributed all, evenly over the day, and I said, and he says, and th- this is, th- and that will cure my He says the 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 vertigo. He says the hearing loss. We know nothing about. Yeah. And I yeah. said, so this is what you got, Harvard Medical <laughs> School. This is this is what you got: low salt, regular exercise, and a regular schedule.
0: Yeah. And and I can see where you could even try to do the, the second and third one, but a regular schedule when you're flying all over the place. And we've talked a little bit about the fact in the past that you've noticed that when you disrupt your regular schedule by jet lag or air travel or whatever, that you've noticed that it has some impact on your hearing in particular now. Interestingly, I just got back from Europe
1: and where, needless to say, my schedule was interrupted i was jet lagged and so on and i had these mild uh, vertigo bouts M- not full blown vertigo uh, attacks where i get nauseous and have to lay down but just dizziness and i probably had five of those and and but interestingly my hearing got got gets incrementally better when i get when i have vertigo attacks go figure and yeah. and so and, that, and now i'm back in, in in back home in montana and i'm I haven't had any vertigo, but my hearing is, is maintained a little bit better than terrible. You I mean, know, I judge it one to
0: ten; it's four right now. It's a four. Okay, so it's it's not great, but it's not as bad as it was when you were on your European adventure. And that's, I think, one of the most challenging issues with from a from an audiologist's perspective. Um, in working with patients who have Meniere's disease where there is a strong hearing component is that it fluctuates and there are good days and bad days and days in between and really trying to uh, program devices. And uh, let's, let's segue that a little bit into when was it the first time that you started wearing a hearing aid or hearing aids? Well, uh, I was contacted by Starkey. Mm-hmm trying to think, of, it was either 2018 or
1: 2019. And, um, uh, and then I, I was fitted with my first hearing aids. And, uh, you know, it, it was a little bit of an adjustment period, but you got you to realize that I was, in this, I was in the place where I couldn't hear. So right. now suddenly I can hear. So, yeah, it takes adjustment. It sounds different, but I, I depend on my hearing aids. Without my hearing aids, I'm virtually deaf.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just have to adapt. You mentioned in January of 2018, when you, I think you were in Dallas uh, for an event, and that's when you first noticed that that left ear really dropped out. And, um, and, and then that was,
1: by the, that was, that was, I was, you know, I was like, I mean, I was bedridden for, I mean, I was so depressed. I I couldn't sing. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is the end of the world. And I, I, I literally, I was so depressed. I stayed in bed for months, almost. My kids finally,
0: you know, got me got me going again. But at a certain point, what are you going to do? You know, you got to you got to move on. Yeah, you got to get up and get out. But I'm I'm glad that you're doing well um, with amplification now, despite this fluctuation of hearing loss uh, that you have. And uh, and
1: the, the, the only thing I miss, honestly, is music. Yeah. I miss uh, and, and and not only do I miss playing and singing music but I can't even enjoy music. You know, when when I'm home and I'm cooking, I always have great music going. And I, uh, you know, I I mean, I'm I'm, I'm first of all a fan of music, but uh, so that that part is is gone for me. But, um, you know, I have to remind myself there's a lot of people out there who are a lot worse off than I am, so.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't be so quick to say it's gone. We're gonna continue to work on those areas and it won't sound like it did with normal hearing, but one of the challenges, as you said, with music is it's a lot more sophisticated and a lot harder uh the nuance of it is a lot more than with speech i mean with speech it's a goal to understand the speech either in quiet or noisy environments with, with music you have so much more of the frequency range as you mentioned and also the dynamics of sound uh, and then in your case because of the many years you have additional distortion that is added. And, and really, there's not a lot that can be done to reduce or eliminate that distortion, except keeping the level lower in uh, amplitude so that you don't overload the ear, uh, as is frequently the case with Meniere's. So we're not going to give up on that, though. No, level is the devil, that's for sure. And and, and Dr. Stephen Rauch, um,
1: when I told him my whole story, and uh, he said to me, he said, uh, "Well, I suspect because your right ear is actually we call you even though you don't have much hearing in your right ear, we call it serviceable because you still have some in your right ear." He says, "I suspect that your left ear will find a level like your right ear that's crappy, but it'll be a level." And he says, "And with hearing aids, you'll be able to exist and and do almost almost everything you could do before. The only trouble is you're a musician, so the only thing you're really going to lose is music." Yeah. And right. That's exactly what's happened to me. He told me that three years ago, and that's exactly what's happened.
0: Well, and in my clinical career, uh, musicians have been some of the most rewarding, but also some of the more challenging patients because they know what they want to hear. And yet, uh, with damage that occurs in the, the sensory damage that occurs with Meniere's disease, um, we can't get that clarity uh, that you remember. Uh, from your passion, and uh, and my understanding is is that since January of 2018, you haven't performed again uh, in and public, not, right? I,
1: I got I my, when I when my my originally my left ear was fluctuating quite dramatically from a uh, six to two, mm-hmm. so, and sit when I was a six, I could I actually assembled my rhythm section to do see if we could play a quiet sort of unplugged with brushes. And in fact, I could hear pitch and we did, we had a nice little rehearsal. And I thought, oh, maybe there's some hope, but like a week later, my left ear crashed again. And now it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been that good since. So I don't know. I, I you know, I'm not giving up obviously. And, and, uh, but, but the, the challenge is not only can you pour, perform or can you play some, but is it fun? You yeah. know what I mean? If it's if it's going to be a struggle, well, you know what's why bother? I mean, you know, it's, it's, the wonderful thing about music is that when you're playing and singing music, and you're in the pocket, it begins to play and sing itself for you. you it's it's a wave that you ride, and it's the most wonderful exhilarating feeling in the whole world. But if you're struggling to
0: hear, and so it's it's just not the same thing, you know. It's almost as if you're, in, you're you're playing in another language. Like when you go to a place that's where right. you don't know the language, you're having to struggle with that that layer yeah, yeah. in between what it feels like when you're in the groove. And, and I do
1: the same thing sometimes just hearing when my hearing's really bad. You know, you just, you're struggling to hear what people, to understand what people are saying. And it's work. It's not fun. You know, you just, because it's the comprehension that's hard. I can hear somebody talking, but if it's Shaquille O'Neal, all I hear is uh, such a low voice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can imagine with some of those reverberant voices like Shaquille O'Neal's that you mentioned, uh, makes it especially difficult to pick up and, uh, and pick up that resonance. So, when you were fitted in like 2018, 2019, you were fitted for both ears. And do you wear your hearing aids in both ears all the time, or are there times when you wear just one or the other? No, I wear them both all the time. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I take them out to go to take a shower. That's it.
0: I mean, I have, I have to have them in both of them all the time. Excellent. And, and we know that not only for speech understanding, but also for the ability to locate sounds, that spatial awareness that we refer to. If you just wore one, You would be able to tell that a sound was present but not locate where it was and so that's really the benefit as long as it's serviceable as you mentioned uh, on both sides and we can provide amplification you're going to be able to tell the source of the sound as well as be able to detect it better if you're wearing two so uh that's great that you always wear the two well honestly the
1: first thing i would the first thing i recommend anybody with hearing loss is hearing aids starkey hearing aids um because, and they take a bit of getting used to because it's, it, it, they sound, you, you, stuff's going to sound a little different, but, but you, but you can get used to it. And when you do, it's, you can't live without them because you can, it's, it's way easier to hear things and, um, you know, they just make life a lot better.
0: Well, thank you for saying that and uh, And, like I said, we're not going to give up on uh, on assisting you with music as well. Um, and, and and it is often the case that people still have stigma associated with hearing loss and using hearing aids. And did you find when you began in 2018, twenty nineteen to wear hearing aids that um, you know, you noticed that people observing you were wearing them, or did it did you care? I mean, I think you know our parents, uh, my parents were more stigmatized by hearing loss and hearing aids. I just want to hear. And so it doesn't matter to me if someone knows that I've got a device on and now the ones that connect to smartphones um, sort of uh, it's really the performance and the benefit that I'm going after, not whether someone sees that I'm wearing hearing aids.
1: Well, that, that's old school. Everybody used to worry about how they look. Nowadays, if you don't have two earbuds in your ear, you're not cool. I mean, look right. at all the kids today. They're all running around with the earbuds. If you don't have something in your ear, you're not cool. I've never, ever worried about, any. first of all, and people don't notice, oddly enough. I mean, I don't care whether they do or not, but, um, you know, I, I guess if you're, if you're worried about whether people see them or not, then most people don't. And I have molds, which are, should be very visible, but people don't notice.
0: Yeah, there was one of the advocacy groups for people with hearing loss that said, your hearing loss is more conspicuous than your hearing aids. And 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 I think the way that you mentioned it, you know, everyone's got stuff in their ears now, and we're trying to make hearing aids cool uh, by enabling them to be directly connected to smartphones so that you can stream podcasts like this, uh, phone calls, audio, audiobooks, etc., um, and anytime you want, and that connectivity is a large part of the way that we've been on a journey to move hearing aids from single purpose into multi-purpose, multifunction ones. And I'm glad to hear that you're finding the benefits of that and using them. And really, as well, for me, it's a dream come true to have people say, "I don't care if people see that I'm wearing hearing aids, as long as I'm getting the benefits from them."
1: I, I, uh, that's exactly the way I feel but I, I, I've I've ne- never, I never cared anyway, uh, but. Um, Yeah, uh, the the benefits are what we're after, for sure. Yeah,
0: and and that's the thing I wanted to say was I know that you're a huge uh, sports fan. Uh, You had an album with Huey Lewis in the news called Sports, Uh, and I know you're a baseball fan, you're a big Giants fan, you're a 49er fan. I won't hold that against you being a Packer fan. Um, but one of the ways I think that you've really been able to appreciate some of the benefits but also probably continue to have some suggestions is using an accessory that enables uh, the direct stream to come from the TV to your instruments. Talk a little bit about that. Well, that, you know, that, that's
1: uh, needed. The table mic plugs into a digital audio splitter that comes out of the TV. And then the table might broadcasts to my hearing aids, and it, and it's really the only way I I can hear sports. Sports, you know, they the sound they want it to sound exciting, so they have the, a lot of crowd noise, and and the crowd noise is just to me, so I can't hear what they're saying. With so you know, I gotta have the hearing aids.
0: Yeah, and one of the things, the table mic we talked about is a Bluetooth accessory that enables you back, and, and I don't know that you've had the opportunity, you have people at your home, I know, for dinners, but have you had the opportunity to use the table mic in a restaurant because we're still coming out of COVID, and, and I don't know how often you find yourself in those challenging listening environments where there's background noise and using that wireless accessory. I'll tell you what the table mic works great for is just to plug it into uh, um, say a computer
1: mm-hmm. or a, on your, when I was on T when I'm on, uh, on the airplane, I take my table mic and plug it into the, the TV screen, mm-hmm. and then it broadcasts directly to my hearing aids. And that's fantastic.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, and again, you, you point to, we have the technology and I like to say that the table mic, like other Bluetooth accessories really democratizes the the use of these accessories when hearing aids alone are not enough and the signal-to-noise benefits for speech are considerable but as you say the user experience has to be straightforward and for that connection to the screen on an airplane or uh, on a computer to be able to do a conference call like this and a podcast like this um, really enables when hearing aids alone are not enough, but we need to continue to work, especially with those individuals who really struggle in background noise, like you do with the Miniers, to be able to take that benefit and get the use, the, the ease of use. And so we'll we'll take that feedback and uh, and continue to work on optimizing the user experience. So um, so you've been. Uh, a fan of the uh, who's your favorite 49er i know you were you were you're pretty good buds with uh, joe montana from from the old yeah, days, well, but, uh...
1: yeah i'm still good friends with joe but uh you know i, I knew pretty much a lot of them and then we, we kind of came up together and uh but dwight clark was a really great friend of mine who passed away here a couple <laughs> years ago recently. was a was one of a special guy just a great guy and um but yeah and uh i still stay in touch with joe and Ronnie Lott and, you know, and Eddie DeBartolo has been such a great owner. He, he still assembles the teams every now and again. And we all still get together and reminisce. And, you know, Eddie's Eddie's been great to everybody. And it's still like a family, the, the 49ers. And, um, you know, those it was, it was great times, great times.
0: Yep, and uh, and and I know uh, you've uh, sang the national anthem numerous times at some of the sporting events too, and some of those still give me chills when I go and I look for the YouTube video. We've done we've done a lot of
1: anthems, lots yep.
0: of anthems. So um, one thing that I uh, you know lately there's been a, a focus on um, movies and TV shows that focus on a, and address really a person's journey with hearing loss. Have you seen? Uh, the Sound of Metal movie that talks about the, the musician who suddenly loses his hearing. Have you seen that one? I have not. I, yeah, I have
1: seen. Have you seen uh, Moonlight Sonata? Um, uh, what is it? F- in deafness? A, a movement in deafness?
0: Yep. It's a nice one, too. Sure have. And and even A Quiet Place kind of has a hearing theme to it, if you will, a device that sort of doesn't exist, but sort of bridges between hearing aids and cochlear implants. But for me, it, it's interesting because my whole career, I've focused on sort of saying, oh, gosh, I wish we'd raise awareness for the importance of hearing as a health condition that connects all of us together. And certainly at Starkey, that's our central mission that our founder, Bill Austin, really started. And you've had the opportunity to engage with him many times on this, but it's nice in a way to see hearing uh, uh, enter the vernacular of the discussion now uh, in society and, and the importance of it. Probably even during COVID, we've uh, realized uh, the importance of hearing to connect to people, whether it's on a, on a podcast like this or face-to-face, and depriving that social interaction really led to a lot of loneliness and isolation for a lot of people, and I'm glad we're coming out of it now. That's that's certainly true. I mean, you don't have to tell me about the importance of hearing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, of your heroes, uh, and uh, you mentioned your dad and the importance that he had, you mentioned some of the sporting uh, uh, colleagues and friends that you've had over the over your life. Who's been most influential to me? Well, wow. The The I'm not,
1: uh, several people, right? But one of them is Philip Lynott, the the lead singer and founder of the band called Tin Lizzy. Yeah, we opened up for them in England. He's so much about music, uh, about the the running of a band, the, about being a band leader. That's what he taught me. Not so much the music, but how to how to how to manage a band and how to treat you know how to deal with the press and how to deal with the crew and how to deal with promoters and how to keep and all, all this stuff i just learned so much and fans and all that philip was an amazing rock star he was like he was just an amazing guy and a great performer and he was a mentor for me And i probably had the largest influence on me career-wise of, of anybody
0: yeah and they didn't their their music was not half bad either i i did enjoy thin lizzy as well but, the boys are
1: back the boys are back
0: absolutely that's the one i was thinking of um now it's interesting you say because you know people will say well that that guy's a rock star and uh, for me, having been around, because I'm a drummer, I hang around with musicians. Um, the, the notion of someone being a rock star isn't giving, maybe sometimes it might be giving an amazing performance, but it's really, uh, when you look at all of the gigs that you've done, Uh, and then you go out and some poor schlub like me has saved a few bucks to come to one of your concerts and to make it feel like when you're performing The Power of Love or any of your other hits, the very first time uh, that I'm hearing it is probably the thousandth or ten thousandth time that you've performed it. That, to me, is a rock star, someone that can bring that energy, and you always have in in the concerts that I've heard you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it
1: England it's it, Britain is interesting because in Britain they really do treat their pop stars as a proper profession, mm-hmm. you know, here in, here in America, it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not a, not a, not a, not a realistic profession, but in Britain it really is. And and the reason is because they have a monarchy in Britain and what, what is a monarch? you know, what is King and queen, but rock stars. I mean, and, and so they understand the, the role of a rock star in a world of, to take, to escape, get to alleviate people's problems, to make them feel better about themselves and so on. And so it, it's, it's, it's quite an honorable profession in Britain. And, uh, and I think not, not so much here. So I learned all that with Philip in England when I lived in England for two years. You know? Well,
0: thank you for sharing that.
1: Um, and it's interesting well, to note that Britain really only produces something like 11% of the world's market in terms of music. But when you look at super bands, what,
0: they're all 60,
1: over. 70% of them are British.
0: Yeah, they're all Stones,
1: over. You know, The yeah. Who,
0: all of that. Oh, and that little band called The Beatles, too. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I've heard of them. Uh, they, they might have a future, too. But no, you're right. When you think of rock and roll history, a lot of uh, you migrate. And in every era, uh, the Brits have been influential, whether it was in punk because, or whether it was in rock and because roll. Know, because know it's, not just
1: about, it's not just about music. Yeah. It's about identifying with somebody and what they are is they're rock stars They're and they understand that. And it's, 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 it's quite a, quite a, a noble profession in Britain.
0: Yeah. And, and I why thought wouldn't about
1: it? the link to the monarchy, which is really, as you said, Absolutely. a rock
0: star. So uh, uh,
1: what what is, you know, Prince Philip but a
0: rock star? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so, and he
1: didn't even need a guitar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nope. And, uh, and he's got the wardrobe already. So Yeah. <laughs> And they so, do that, right?
1: They do pomp and circumstance, Britain.
0: Absolutely. British. It's all they performance. Yeah. Exactly. Now I got it. Um, okay. So we're drawn to an end of our time and uh, we're also coming to the end of 2021. Um, what sorts of things we've been, you know, in, in the COVID-19 pandemic, but there's, uh, I know that you continue to, um, uh, make me, uh, be involved. You've been involved in, uh, I saw a uh, blacklist. You were, uh, 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 a couple months ago, what other projects that you have coming up and what sorts of uh, things are you reflecting on as this year comes to a close?
1: Uh, well, we have, uh, we have a musical called a heart of rock and roll that we're very proud of. That's we put up in San Diego last year and sold it out and got great reviews and everything. So we're trying to bring it to Broadway, which is, uh, you know, tough because it's, there's only so many theaters and so on, but we're in line and we have we've, uh, we've um, uh, thrown in, partnered up with a a, a couple of uh, producers, Hunter Arnold and Tom Korda, who produce a lot of the stuff on Broadway. So, and they're pretty bullish on the thing. So we're hoping to get it to Broadway, maybe 2023. I have another, uh, 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 a TV show that I'm developing with Aaron Kaplan. that's. um, in its infant stages yet, but but uh but we're we're hopeful for that. And um and Back to the Future, the musical is up in London. Uh, and they're usually they're, you know, uh, using it, playing a couple of our songs, featuring in fact where the last song and the and the and the encore and
0: all that. So that's what we got going so far. Wow. Well uh, yeah. Uh, what are you doing in your spare time? I mean, that's that's amazing. Well, I got, I can't I got wait other for all stuff of those. going on. I'm writing a little bit too, so you are. You've been promising a novel for a while, but said you were just too busy. It seems like you're still busy now, but uh, I'm, I'm still busy. It's yeah. it writing is
1: amazing work. It takes so long, and you got to rewrite. And Jesus, brutal. I never realized it was so hard till I tried.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can understand <laughs> but, that. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Is there a favorite a, a favorite concert or performance uh, during your career that stands out from all of the others?
1: Uh, you know, there's lots of them. We had some nice shows. We played Paris. We played the, the the Coliseum in Paris, and Springsteen and Bob Geldof came by the show and sat in. That was a big night. Uh, we've done. Uh, you know, we played three nights at Wembley in London. That was great. You know, so there's there's a several of them. Lots of them. Yeah, and that's a good we, memory.
0: Was "We Are the World" as memorable exp- of an experience as it turned out to be? I mean, from my end, looking at the array of performers on that video, uh, it had to be remarkable. No question, it was amazing. I mean, imagine you—you you don't normally in, in one's
1: lifetime you don't get to meet that those people, you know, for a second, let alone spend a whole evening with them and work with them, you know, and, and there's a bond that's developed there. You know, that, that's to this day is there. I mean, that if you were there, like when we were, those of us who were there, like, you know, Kenny Loggins and me and Bruce and, and, uh, uh, you know, just everybody, I mean, there's a bond that we have because we were all there at that, that evening.
0: It was an amazing evening. Yeah. I can only imagine. And, um, well, uh, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate your, Uh, talking to us today about uh, your musical career, your remarkable musical career, uh, your hearing loss and the use of hearing aids, and thanks for your kind words about how Starkey Hearing Aids have been benefiting you. We'll continue to work on that. I want to just, you know, I talked to you about, you know, I first met you in 2001 uh, when you came to San Diego and spoke at our, our convention, gave me a harmonica, uh, in August, August 27th of 2001, you were at the Minnesota State Fair, and were kind enough to give me tickets. Uh, it was one of my first dates with my wife at that time, and, uh, and we came back uh, stage, and you you uh, invited us to the after party. But it was a Monday night, uh, which for me was a school night, so I had to drive back down to Rochester at that time, and I was still working at Mayo Clinic. Um, and so I guess maybe, you know, my wife still married me, given that I passed up the opportunity to go to an after party for a Huey Lewis concert. Uh, and then maybe it was hip to be square a little bit in that respect that I had to get back home and go back to work that night. But thanks for setting me on a trajectory where I, I convinced this woman to marry me. But, uh, but it was in no small part due to that first or early date in our dating experience. Well, that's good. I'll take, I'll take complete credit for that. You can have it. Well, <laughs> with that, Huey, I think, um, you know, uh, you've been very generous with your time and uh, and I can't tell you how uh, appreciative I am uh, of that. And uh, uh, I wish you all of the success. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And we'll work on tweaking those devices for the good and bad days and working on to continue to refine our accessories so that you can enjoy sports. And I'm, I'm not uh, ruling out the possibility we're going to get some some improved sound quality for music uh, in the future, even with the Meniere's disease. I would love that, I'd appreciate it, thanks. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of sound Bites. Uh If you enjoyed this conversation, uh, please rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. You can hit subscribe and be sure you don't miss every episode. If you have any suggestions for the future, Uh, Please hit us with that, too, because as they say, we're all ears. So thanks for listening, and we'll hear you next time.